This is episode 59 of Brick and Data, a podcast dedicated to retail news, analytics, and tech. We cover trending retail headlines, interview some of the biggest players, surface game changer technologies, and explore how retailers are surviving and thriving. Hello, everyone. My name is Todd Harris. And I'm Jose Chan. And welcome to another episode of the Brick and Data podcast. Coming up in this episode, Target and Kroger versus Amazon. What retail digital transformation? Retailers betting on a Prime Day outage. Weird news. And more in this episode of Brick and Data. Okay, Jose, here we go. So we are looking at the title fight of the end of 2019 in one corner is Target and possibly Kroger. And the other corner is the mighty Amazon. Now, I guess the big question, there's a lot of questions here with this, but is two versus one here fair? And is it even going to be Target and Kroger? Or is Target strong enough on their own to take on Amazon in the ring? Ah, How cheesy was that? That was good, right? Nice and cheesy. (laughs) That was really good. And I was going to say, it's a really good question as well. Uh, It it seems that it would be fair because Amazon is competing pretty much everywhere, right? So on one side, they have their Whole Foods business. So that would align nicely with Kroger uh, and partially with uh, Target. In addition, Amazon has other, let's say, retail businesses within its group, which would include apparel, books, other miscellaneous items, and that would compete directly against Target. Right. That's so, the stronger part of their of their model, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, I think it's a the short answer to what you're saying or asking is yes, it is a fair fight. Well, okay. So let let's let's dial that back a little bit then and just take a look at at Target and see how they've been doing. If we recall in 2017, and it was, I was, I think I was at a show, a lot of us probably had shows where he announced this, but he was big on the speaking circuit across retail tech events in um, 2017, and he still is, and he's, he's a hell of a speaker too. But um, so Target CEO, Brian Cornell did announce a plan in 2017 to invest, if you remember, it was more than 7 billion over three years. So that was his three-year plan, which is coming up in end of 2020 in technology. So it was a three-pronged approach, technology, supply chain, and private label brands to compete against Amazon and Walmart. Um, I do remember. Yes. So he's been talking about that a lot. He's been flaunting this whole plan. I think it started with Shipt uh, when they acquired them for same day and one day, or faster, at least, shipping from store deliveries uh, to their customers. So that was a thing for them. That was a big movement they made when, especially when Amazon was out there, uh, really trying for this also. And Target, this was Target keeping up, but he has been talking about this investment over the next three years. So with that, I guess we could look at some of their um, performance, which has apparently been very strong. I was uh, reading a few articles on this and checking out their earnings statements. And this is eight straight quarters now. So they had an earnings announcement in May. That That marked eight straight quarters of same store sales growth. For them. So that's that's pretty huge in a really volatile industry, right? And we could label retail whatever we want. 
but it's volatile. And they have, they had eight straight quarters of same store sales growth. That's, that's strong and a really good sign for them, I think. Yeah, that, that is exceptionally strong. If you note that most, it's been a, retail historically has been a competitive environment. Yeah. Given the seismic changes that we've had, right, uh, over the last five plus years, it, it's become even more so. And so they've made good bets. And I think at the beginning of his tenure, Brian Cornell was criticized uh, for not doing enough to turn around Target or not necessarily turn around. 2015-ish? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And just to really not doing enough to, I wouldn't say turnaround is really the way to put it. The best way to put it is to uh, bring it into the present and future is probably the better way to put it and modernize it. But he took a big bet. And I think this bet is paying off. And as we know in business, it's about your results and your results speak volumes for, for your strategy. Right. And, and since really, I mean, targets means of growth and this will kind of help, you know, be the, be under the under underlying reason, maybe why they have done so well, but they, um, they've been focusing on the basic household items, paper towels, um, you know, just, just kind of, uh, uh, private label products, um, apparel, home furnishings, you know, sort of basic things. And that's been their means of growth, I guess it's in that has been through pricing, through promotions, pretty basic stuff, it seems. So it's almost like they've exhausted their, their means of growing through that manner at this point, and they need another way to grow. Of course, their earnings doesn't, doesn't say that, but it seems just looking at the movement in retail at Walmart and Amazon and and in grocery, which will may end up being a big part of, of this, this success for Target, I guess, over the next couple of years. Um, they need something else too, right? They got to have some other means of staying, staying aggressive with other retailers that so they've already, you know, they've already surpassed. Um, we can be comfortable saying they've already surpassed JCPenney, Nordstrom, Kohl's, and those other guys, which may not be the, you know, the perfect children of retail, you know, but they've definitely surpassed those guys. There's no question about that. You're absolutely right, Todd. And we have to look also at the strategy that Target has that Amazon does not have, right? So they have stores, which Amazon does not have. We could say, sure, they have stores in the guise of Whole Foods and perhaps other smaller entities, but really Target has the stores. And if they're able to drive those customers into the stores, they're gonna see their sales increase, of course which is exactly why the whole strategy makes a lot of sense and is working. Yeah. And, and they've got a lot of stores too. So they're upwards of almost 2000 stores. Uh, that's way more. We, we don't even need to compare numbers with, uh, with the whole foods situation with Amazon. So no competition there, but if we add in the other player here that we were talking about in the beginning, if we add in Kroger, so we're the thought around Kroger and Jose, you correct me if I'm wrong here, but the thought around Kroger and target is pretty simple. Um, Target really doesn't have a play in grocery. Uh, Amazon has extended their play in grocery, and they see grocery as a way that they're going to grow um, from an in-store sales perspective, obviously, and also from an overall business perspective. But uh, uh, Target does not have that capability. They, they, 
they have no plan. Um, they have really no plan around grocery without some sort of acquisition or partnership uh, that would help them compete here. At least that I'm aware of. Is that is that true from what you know, Jose? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And if we look at the let's let's take this this component of our conversation, Kroger being a grocer uh, in the past did not necessarily need to catch up as much, even though it's part of the let's say re overall retail vertical, but within the subset of grocery grocery didn't have to update their systems, right? Because they were, I would say that grocery was the most robust, let's say, retail uh, subset of the retail vertical. Now, because all other retail is being changed because of technology, yeah. Kroger and many other grocers have now had to change as well. And not just because of Amazon, but it's because systems were outdated. So now with let's say, different components or techniques of AI, like machine learning, uh, computer vision, et cetera, that facilitate logistical supply chain, let's say, leverage that can now be had because of the compute that's available. Right, efficiencies, you know. Exactly. Yeah, th those, are, those are huge, uh, huge participants to the bottom line, right? Those exactly. It's become more important. So Kroger, mm -hmm. so to close off, Kroger and other grocers are now adapting and adopting that type of technology in order to better service their customers. Yeah, there's no doubt. And if we look at some of the hmm, some of the implications of this partnership, we've referred to a few of these things, or if Target just went ahead and acquired Kroger, there's a few things that would come out of this. There's a few implications that we found, and some of these are directly from a couple articles that we found, one of them being on the Observer. Um, but kind of a, a hybrid set of benefits for them here based on some of our thoughts and some of their thoughts are the following. So one of them, we talked about this before, is that that combination of the two will get them ahead very fast when it comes to same-day delivery of merchandise and groceries using Shipt. So S-H-I-P-T, right? That, that acquisition for them will be huge in that sense. While Amazon is out there still trying to figure out what percentage of their offerings, their inventory, they can offer same day. They're still ramping that up. That's been happening for a while, but they are still limited in the areas of the country and the amount of inventory that they can offer same day. So there's that thing, which which makes it more of an even playing field. Um, with Kroger, Target, as you mentioned before, Jose, with your supply chain comment, they get a nice shot in the arm of supply chain efficiency which any type of efficiency when you're trying to grow um, grow profits is good because there's only so much you can grow revenues, right? There's only so much at one point, I guess, you can grow revenues over time. Um, but if you take the right actions from technology, process, whatever it might be, in this case, an acquisition, they could get a very efficient supply chain in place with Kroger in the wings. Um, what do you think about those two, Jose? you think those are pretty spot on? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I would also add... Uh, that if we think of Kroger, they partnered up with uh, Okado from the UK, right? In, in order to facilitate the supply chain change that they're trying to implement. Mm -hmm. uh, they it, It's crucial, right? Because if you think of grocery, it's very distinct from retail. So regular retail, apparel retail, that is. So specifically, let's think about this. If we were to take apparel, apparel, okay, it has seasonality, sure, but it's not quite as crucial uh, in terms of its perishability relative to a grocer, where if you have a banana, 
let's say, or bananas, you have a limited shelf life. It's you only have a few days. So that this is where tech comes in, and that that I think is going to be the the lever that they're trying to push at. Uh, right. In so all, lowering waste again, more efficiency type conversation. There it seems like exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, yeah, to the end consumer. Yeah, yeah I mean, so it, again, that, that's the whole purpose of this is the end consumer. Well, you know, that's the that's the reason these things are being done. It's a combination of efficiencies, but also customer satisfaction and making sure they have fresh, uh, the latest items on the shelves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you know, a few other points on the implications of Target and Kroger uh, store count. We talked about store count before, so. Kroger kind of dwarfs Target even. So Kroger's got about almost 2,800 stores. So adding that, that brings them very close to, if I, if I can add around 40, almost 4,800, uh, almost 4,800 stores, a little bit less than that. And that would put them at number two, only behind Walmart. So that's, that's very interesting as far as store count goes. That may put them visibly on the map, but uh, of course, getting to the point where they can actually execute on that and make those stores work with work for them instead of against them is, sure. is the key here. Absolutely. Um, so Target would also not have to worry about creating a grocery strategy from scratch. We, scratch. we talked about that before. So Kroger would already have this in place. But again, it's about how fast can they bring in the processes and do the alignment between uh, Target and Kroger. We know that uh, Amazon churned this out pretty quickly after they acquired Whole Foods. I think even a few months later, we started seeing promotions and of course, branding and you know, lots of integrations there. So I don't know if this will be as powerful as that was. But of course, as you mentioned before, it's about cost, about customers and Target's customers. Apparently, now I don't have any data behind this. They mentioned this in the Observer article uh, on Observer.com. Target's customers shop at Whole Foods for groceries. So by doing this, well, inherently, at least their goal is to pull customers out of Whole Foods into Kroger. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they could do this if they do enough promotions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But so it, there we it's, go. It, it'll the jury's out, as we always say. Right. <laughs> it always is. We won't know. We'll in our classic line of uh, we'll check in later on this, and it's literally we're gonna have to do that because we have nothing to go on. And there's obviously there's there's been no announcements on this. Just a lot of speculations. But given what we've seen, when there's enough speculation on something like this, it almost is a uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. So we'll, <laughs> we'll have to see if it happens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next topic. Um, Jose, why don't you take us through this digital transformation jargon here? So this, what digital transformation, right? So what is this exactly. actually happening? Why are we talking digital transformation? Do we even care what this means uh, beyond companies like Gartner and Forrester and all the other analysts out there that have to slap a fancy name on something? Um, what's the importance of this, Jose, and, and why are we even talking about this right now? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Uh, what retail digital transformation? So according to the Gartner Report, global retail technology spend uh, has reached nearly, uh, let's say, a little bit under $204 billion U.S. dollars in 2019 thus far. And it's expected to grow uh, at 3.6 in the next two years. Now, according to the report, 40% of U.S. retailers are already using AI, uh, but U.S. retail executives rated their AI, AI knowledge at just 2.92 out of 5. I see. You're building a little case here, aren't you, Jose? Trying. You're building trying. a little case. I see, I see what's happening. I see what you're doing here. <laughs> Keep going. So 
everyone's been talking about retail digital transformation. And as you alluded to earlier, we've been to so many conferences in retail, from Shop Talk to NRF to everything in between. But everybody talks about this. But what's telling is that their knowledge of AI, retail executives that is, few of them actually really know what what is occurring. And they're spending all this money. We just talked about uh, Target, uh, $7 billion. Yeah. I would say, okay, Brian Cornell probably does have a clue because you could see it in the numbers. Well, but they're I, clearly, they're, they're, you know, your classic unicorn in this case. They, they know what they're doing, it seems like. It seems like when it comes to digital transformation, digital transformation using technology, that's um, buzzword beyond belief. And it seems like just the proof of so many vendors being out there and only so many retailers, there's going to be massive failure rates in, in what's, being, uh, what's being proposed to retailers and the integration and the implementation of things. Um, that that's a given mainly. And then those failure rates aren't because of the vendors. It's because of maybe some retailers just grasping at whatever seems interesting. Um, now that's, that's insulting, but it, it, there's so many <laughs> solutions out there, but it just seems like there's, there's such need for growth at retailers that there may just be some, uh, just grabbing at straws in a way, trying to figure out what is the solution that's going to transform their their organization and there's no yes. ma- there's no magic uh, magic bullet here with this one. You're absolutely right. And look, I think eight, five years ago, <laughs> they we're in a different phase of retail today. Five years ago, everybody's talking about the future. We are in the future, but the real issue, I think, uh, when we talk about digital transformation, it's not really a digital transformation. What we're really talking about, it's the culture or what's also known as organizational architecture of a firm that has to be taken into account. So for example, the July-August issue of Harvard Business Review uh, has its main leader on the cover saying, or title that is, the main challenge isn't tech, it's culture. That's what the issue is. It's not an AI problem because AI on its own is useless, even if it is the best AI technique like machine learning. If you don't have a specific pain point to solve, I think we know that. Mm -hmm. But as obvious as that sounds, that is crucial to any strategy. And I think, and this past week, I, I, not this week, but last week, I spoke at a conference specifically about this. And the conference was a primer as to what might actually be going on in AI and how to start using an AI strategy in your company. And many companies from larger, many people from larger companies actually came and didn't have an idea of what an algorithm was vis-a-vis AI or what AI was vis-a-vis deep learning. Right. Well, and honestly, most of them shouldn't really care unless they're technology practitioners or unless they're going to be responsible for implementing this in some form, some form or fashion, but they, they're not going to know those people then will not know the real business problem or the business value that a piece of technology or whatever digital transformation through whatever piece of technology it is will present to them. So maybe there's still yes. some, some separation between church and state there and retailers that needs to be a little bit closer together uh, yes. to make sure that they're actually picking up the right, the right technology for the right purpose and to solve the right problem. But uh, again, you know, I feel like we're a couple um, high-level analysts here trying to make sense of something that 
uh, is is still is still in question. Like I feel like maybe after all of these years, I feel like after all of these years um, of retail going through such change and needing technology that we still we as in retail still hasn't haven't figured out fully how to what to embrace, how to do it. Um, it just seems like the same, we talked about this before in another episode, it seems like the same topics are being surfaced at the same conferences year after year. So yes. something's not being effectively communicated or accomplished, it uh, seems like. Yeah. Yes, I, I fully agree with what you're saying. However, I will add that the reason I bring this up is that because it's been addressed over and over, mm -hmm. what is troubling to me is that it's seen as a tech problem and not an organizational problem. I see. Right. So that that's that's what's problematic. And the people that attended were high level executives from I'm not going to name companies, but companies that anybody who would listen to this podcast would immediately recognize. Probably mentioned a few of them along the way. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it, it's that that's what was troubling. And I, I, look, and I fully agree. One does not have to be uh, well versed in how does this deep learning machine learning actually work but right. i think just having surface knowledge of knowing the differences of techniques versus an algorithm or just basic terminology would allow them to just have a better grasp of what the issues are and yeah. how that relates yeah. to their specific pain point it'll that, let that, them it'll all. help them connect it'll help them connect the dots and you know fully better understand i guess better relate the technology and capabilities and the vision of whatever that potential is of that technology to their business. That's going to be the, the key. So uh, obviously yes. there's a lot of consultants out there and a lot of companies that are in existence to do that. You know, lots of those systems integrators and, and, and consultancies that are in the business of taking all these vendors and trying to marry them to retail problems. So there's a lot of that already happening, but still, I mean, there's only, there's so many different variations of AI, you know, whatever, um, whatever piece of, of sub AI technology and that umbrella you want to call out. There's so many variations of it across so many different verticals inside of retail that I can't imagine. Like, I just can't imagine having that role at a, at a retailer right now, having to, to discern what's productive, what's not, what to take your $2 million in investment money in to fix a certain part of the business and, and actually spend it and have it succeed. Like that sounds like a terrifying position uh, <laughs> to do. But so it, only those that really do, and this goes back to your point, is only those that really do understand the technology and can connect the dots to, is this, uh, uh, this going to fix my supply chain problem? Is this going to help improve customer satisfaction? Is this going to help improve turnover in my stores? Is this going to help uh, reduce markdowns? You know, what, what, is, what are these things going to do for sure. my company? And, and until they have that person or people or group in place, which many actually do already. I just yes. think there's still so much, you could probably back this up, there's still so much wonder as to what is the, you know, what is, what is the, the, what are the ingredients um, and the recipe that we need to be able to kind of turn around our business, so. Exactly, exactly. Because uh, many people that I've talked to at various companies at the C-suite have said that they're, <laughs> they have made a lot of inroads in their respective com companies. Mm -hmm. However, as they survey the landscape of what's occurring, they don't really know what the best practices are across the board. And, and that is because there are no best practices. Not enough yet. examples yet, you think? Or do you think it's not proven enough? Or what? It, it, well, we're talking about organizational transformation. So I think... I guess you're right. That, 
the the short answer to what you're saying is or asking rather yeah. is because we are in a next phase of let's say the adoption process right now we're in the organizational change aspect uh, of of the cycle it's not clear like what works and because we know that retailers are very specific in the way that they're organized that they're siloed perhaps in the way that they have legacy systems it's a complicated complicated process yep. so the bottom line it's hard it's hard to integrate any change anywhere retailer or not any business any scale any size but the size sheer size of these retailers makes it even more let's say complicated because we're dealing with human beings yep. not technology agreed agreed so the, pretty much what you're saying is they just need a jose chan that's pretty much it so. <laughs> i'm not necessarily saying that but <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, i said it right. but that would be a good thought yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so hey uh, prime day is coming up jose and i think i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna buy something because that's just what i do i get sucked into these right you, you get you get the the hype of of amazon prime day and all those deals and you mark the deals that you want to be reminded about and then it comes up and then you feel the pressure of the time expiring and the the, the inventory expiring and you get get sucked into it and you buy things you don't need like some weird like vibrating cheese grater i don't know <laughs> i mean it sounds like it would work but maybe maybe not but anyway so amazon's prime day this year is going to run for 48 hours i th thought it ran for the same last year but we could talk about that in a minute on july 15th and 16th so it's coming up in just a couple weeks from this episode. That's exciting, but we're not the only ones that know about this. Obviously, other retailers know about this too, and they're betting on another disaster. Uh, disaster being an outage. But let's be <laughs> honest, the outage that seems to happen every year with Prime Day, it happened the first year, it happened last year, it happened previous years. We expect something for at least a couple hours, and I think even last year or the year before was for about it was a long time. It, I think they extended it another day, if I'm not mistaken, because of the outage was so long. So other retailers are betting on this happening again this year. Not necessarily, I don't think they're betting on the outage really helping them, because I think people just wait. But they're just trying to become more relevant during those two same days and offer their own deals. So Jose, namely Target, and eBay seem to be jumping on bandwagon on the bandwagon here, and Target did last year, I think, already, if I'm not mistaken, sure. with their deal days, right? Sure, and it makes sense. So to your first point, yeah, they probably will have something, and who knows? I, I, jury's out. I, I can't tell you uh, what it will be, but jumping on the bandwagon is a very smart thing because it's effectively what they're doing, Target and any other company like eBay that is – having sales on this day and heavily promoting mm -hmm. is really riding Amazon's coattails and saying, you know what, we're going to have our own sale too. And so it's pretty much a pre-built new type of holiday, if you will, uh, that didn't exist before yeah. that where <laughs> it's inducing people to shop because it's going to be a great deal. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, Target's got a little bit of a spin that they're doing with their deal days, meaning that you can, this is where they're using their stores to their advantage is, on those two days, they'll have the deals going um, on their apparel and home goods brands, et cetera. And they're also saying that you can pick up, if you buy something online during those days, you can pick it up in the store the same day. So that's cool. I mean, that sounds yeah. great, at least for those that are, you know, that want it absolutely right now. Um, 
and and they don't need any type of membership to be able to do this either as similar as is uh, the same case with amazon um and they even get a little discount these when they use a target credit card so they are trying to be very competitive here um and this is something that they've been doing for the past couple of years i think this is their second year uh, sure. trying to take strip a little bit of, of sales away from amazon and maybe using some of the stronger sellers or the stronger categories that target has with apparel and, and home home type brands to try to uh, disarm some of what what amazon is doing and of course ebay is going to do this too and i think ebay's name is more clever here i think they're they're getting a little toxic with this and i love it um <laughs> they're holding something called crash sale right they're of course because it's you know crashing Servers are crashing. Um, you know, in, an insult to Amazon and, of course, uh, AWS for not holding up. But I can't imagine having to deal with that level of of volume, um, not knowing the points at which those the volume is gonna is gonna increase enough to to have servers crash. Anyway, we're gonna see how that goes. But it looks like eBay is also sort of focusing um, on not just two days, but for a couple of weeks in in early July to offer some uh, extra deals on some other brands, not necessarily apparel and home goods stuff that that Target is offering, but it seems like some technology uh, types of offerings. And it seems going to drop more deals if the website crashes, which is hilarious. <laughs> which is so it's almost, yeah, it's almost like they're saying, hey, if Amazon crashes, then you're, you consumer are going to get something out of it from us, which is kind of <laughs> hilarious. I mean, exactly. It's, it's sort of sick, but it's, it's great. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And look, and... It's interesting because if you think about the retail cadence, generally July is a soft month because let's mm. think about what's going well, on. Not anymore, in July. not over the past couple of years. Right? Not because of this, exactly. Right. But traditionally, prior to this, it has been because if you think of the last major sale of the season before you start getting into what you would call back to school or fall, would really be the July 4th sale. And it's like, boom. You're, you're done. And then July and August is a sleepy time period, right, where you start getting in your back-to-school fall goods. So this is genius. It, yeah. it's it slows like, out the year a little bit maybe, just a little yes, bit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because you, you don't want all those peaks and troughs. You want to keep it as stable as possible. And if you look at Alibaba with their singles day, they did the same thing. They created a, a market uh, for shopping where it didn't exist. Right. When is that again? That's not Usually, until the fall, right? Uh, singles Day, February. So I think it, it is on or around Valentine's Day because like its name, oh, right. it was right, created right. for singles that were not in a relationship on Valentine's Day. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Like the name, uh, like naming a big sale, uh, eh, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, maybe it's a, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's more of a non-US or a non-America thing, you know? Yeah, it could be, mm. but it's big. Mm -hmm. And there, it's a big sale for sure. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think other retailers can thank Amazon for this one, right? Other retail can thank Amazon again for helping save, save them. Because that's what's happening here. As much as they're crushing it with their Prime Day sale, other retailers will benefit from this too. So, Yeah. Okay, weird news. <clears throat> Okay, so uh, <laughs> I, I was debating on putting a picture of this in the show notes, and I don't know if I'm going to, because it's kind of disturbing. But apparently some woman went to Macy's for a makeup consultation, and according to uh, ABC 13 News, I, I don't know, I guess in New York, um, I don't know if it is in New York, 
she ended up with an X on her face that doesn't come off. <laughs> so uh, this isn't classic retail here, but a retailer is involved. So sorry, Macy's. And this maybe this woman's a lunatic. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> quote, uh, she says to ABC 13 News, I want to figure out how to get this off my face. It's extremely frustrating because every day when I see people, they're like, why do you have an X on your face? I put makeup on, but it bleeds right through it. It's bizarre to me. <laughs> That's pretty bizarre. It's, seriously? I mean, it, she really thinks... I mean, can we just talk about this for a second? Not, we don't want to take too long on this here, but how is someone going to get an X on their face that doesn't come off? It's not from, like, being branded, not from being tattooed. Like, you think She's someone possessed. at Macy's... Right. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> you really think someone at Macy's is going to sit there and grind something in her face or even use some kind of makeup that doesn't come off, which probably doesn't exist. Like, something that would go that many layers deep into your face to never come up. I, I don't understand what's happening here. Or you think maybe she's just trying to sue them and make some money. Make some money. Yeah. Because it's weird. How do you go get home and like, face? I mean, right. Go home and like, like I don't know. Like, who's, who's the guy with, with the, with the X or swastika on his forehead? The lunatic? What's his name? The, the murderer? The serial killer from uh, the 70s? Dommler? No, no, I don't know. Uh, Everyone's people that are listening right now are screaming the answer, and neither of us can hear it. Uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm, I can't believe I can't remember it. Anyway, uh, I'm picturing that psycho and oh. the uh, you know that that tattoo cut in the face. I don't know if that's the case <laughs> here. I don't think that's the case, but this is absolutely insane. So sorry, yeah. Macy's, you got stuck with that, but it seems like you got a you got someone that's trying to pin something on you. Is it the only reason I couldn't think of the name, or I still can't think of the name, is because what's in my mind right now with the X, it's this vivid image of Reagan in, or Linda Blair, the actress, in yes. The Exorcist. Yes. You're right. That. Yes, you're right. And, oh, Charles Manson. Jesus. There you go. Good Lord. Did it. Thank you, Google. <laughs> <laughs> you're infringing on their copyright. I am. I am. All right. Well, that's the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening and bearing with us at the end there Thanks, as we guys. are experiencing 40-something uh, memory issues. Uh, send comments and questions to brickdatacast at gmail.com. We always love them. Of course, show ideas, too. If you want us to talk about something, please do that. If you want to hear more, you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app, whatever that might be. And until next time, everyone, take care and see you, Jose. Bye, everyone. Bye, Todd. <laughs>